Fourth Reverie, Section Three, Part Three, of Reveries of a Bachelor by Eke Marvel. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Letter. Paul, for I think I may call you so now, I know not how to answer you. Your letter gave me great joy, but it gave me pain too. I cannot, will not, doubt what you say. I believe that you love me better than I deserve to be loved, and I know that I am not worthy of all your kind praises. But it is not this that pains me, for I know that you have a generous heart, and would forgive, as you always have forgiven, any weakness of mine. I am proud, too, very proud, to have won your love, but it pains me more, perhaps, than you will believe, to think that I cannot write back to you as I would wish to write. Alas, never! Here I dash the letter upon the floor, and with my hand upon my forehead, sit gazing upon the glowing coals, and breathing quick and loud. The dream, then, is broken. Presently I read again. You know that my father died before we had ever met. He had an old friend, who had come from England, and who in early life had done him some great service which made him seem like a brother. This old gentleman was my godfather, and called me daughter. When my father died, he drew me to his side, and said, Carrie, I shall leave you, but my old friend will be your father. And he put my hand in his, and said, I give you my daughter. This old gentleman had a son, older than myself, but we were much together, and grew up as brother and sister. I was proud of him, for he was tall and strong, and every one called him handsome. He was as kind, too, as a brother could be, and his father was like my own father. Every one said, and believed, that we would one day be married, and my mother and my new father spoke of it openly. So did Lawrence, for that is my friend's name. I do not need to tell you any more, Paul, for when I was still a girl, we had promised that we would one day be man and wife. Lawrence has been much in England, and I believe he is there now. The old gentleman treats me still as a daughter, and talks of the time when I shall come and live with him. The letters of Lawrence are very kind, and though he does not talk so much of our marriage as he did, it is only, I think, because he regards it as so certain. I have wished to tell you all this before, but I have feared to tell you. I am afraid I have been too selfish to tell you. And now, what can I say? Lawrence seems most to me like a brother, and you, Paul, but I must not go on, for if I marry Lawrence, as fate seems to have decided, I will try and love him better than all the world. But will you not be a brother, and love me, as you once loved Bella? You say my eyes are like hers, and that my forehead is like hers. Will you not believe that my heart is like hers, too? Paul, if you shed tears over this letter, I have shed them as well as you. I can write no more now. Adieu. I sit long, looking upon the blaze, and when I rouse myself, it is to say wicked things against destiny. Again all the future seems very blank. I cannot love Carrie as I loved Bella. She cannot be a sister to me. She must be more or nothing. Again I seem to float singly on the tide of life, 
and see all around me cheerful groups. Everywhere the sun shines, except upon my own cold forehead. There seems no mercy in heaven, and no goodness for me upon earth. I write after some days an answer to the letter, but it is a bitter answer, in which I forget myself, in the whirl of my misfortunes, to the utterance of reproaches. Her reply, which comes speedily, is sweet and gentle. She is hurt by my reproaches, deeply hurt, but with a touching kindness, of which I am not worthy, she credits all my petulance to my wounded feeling. She soothes me, but in soothing only wounds the more. I try to believe her when she speaks of her unworthiness, but I cannot. Business, and the pursuits of ambition or of interest, pass on like dull grating machinery. Tasks are met, and performed with strength indeed, but with no cheer. Courage is high, as I meet the shocks and trials of the world, but it is a brute, careless courage that glories in opposition. I laugh at any dangers, or at any insidious pitfalls. What are they to me? What do I possess which it will be hard to lose? My dog keeps by me, my toils are present, my food is ready, my limbs are strong. What need for more? The months slip by, and the cloud that floated over my evening sun passes. Lawrence, wandering abroad, and writing to Caroline, as to a sister, writes more than his father could have wished. He has met new faces, very sweet faces, and one which shows through the ink of his later letters very gorgeously. The old gentleman does not like to lose thus his little Carrie, and he writes back rebuke. But Lawrence, with the letters of Caroline before him for data, throws himself upon his sister's kindness and charity. It astonishes not a little the old gentleman to find his daughter pleading in such strange way for the son. "'And what will you do then, my Carrie?' the old man says. "'Wear weeds, if you wish, sir, and love you and Lawrence more than ever.' And he takes her to his bosom, and says, "'Carrie, Carrie, you are too good for that wild fellow Lawrence.' Now the letters are different. Now they are full of hope, dawning all over the future sky. Business and care and toil glide, as if a spirit animated them all. It is no longer cold machine-work, but intelligent and hopeful activity. The sky hangs upon you lovingly, and the birds make music that startles you with its fineness. Men wear cheerful faces, the storms have a kind pity, gleaming through all their wrath. The days approach when you can call her yours, for she has said it, and her mother has said it, and the kind old gentleman, who says he will still be her father, has said it too. And they have all welcomed you, won by her story, with a cordiality that has made your cup full to running over. Only one thought comes up to obscure your joy. Is it real? Or if real, are you worthy to enjoy? Will you cherish and love always, as you have promised, that angel who accepts your word and rests her happiness on your faith? Are there not harsh qualities in your nature, which you fear may sometime make her regret that she gave herself to your love and charity? And those friends who watch over her, as the apple of their eye, can you always meet their tenderness and approval, for your guardianship of their treasure? 
is it not a treasure that makes you fearful as well as joyful but you forget this in her smile her kindness her goodness her modesty will not let you remember it she forbids such thoughts and you yield such obedience as you never yielded even to the commands of a mother and if your business and your labor slip by partially neglected what matters it what is interest or what is reputation compared with that fullness of your heart which is now ripe with joy the day for your marriage comes and you live as if you were in a dream you think well and hope well for all the world a flood of charity seems to radiate from all around you and as you sit beside her in the twilight on the evening before the day when you will call her yours and talk of the coming hopes and of the soft shadows of the past and whisper of bella's love and of that sweet sister's death and of lawrence a new brother coming home joyful with his bride and lay your cheek to hers life seems as if it were all day and as if there could be no night the marriage passes and she is yours yours forever end of section three part three